This is Mornings with Simi on 980 CKNW. Well, now, of course, all eyes have turned to the election in the United States. Tuesday is voting day officially, although there's been a heck of a lot of advanced voting going on. So with six days left until the U.S. election, we thought we would catch up with Global News national reporter Mike Armstrong, who was in West Virginia. It's one of the states that have been hardest hit by the pandemic. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us. Tell us what is going on. What is the picture like where you are right now? Yeah, well, I'm in uh, West Virginia, Morgantown, West Virginia. This is about as red a state as there is. There are a few states where Trump supports about 58, 59%. This is one of them. Only Wyoming is higher uh, at 64%. But this is also a state that's struggling in this pandemic. That's why we wanted to come here to discuss the impact of COVID-19 on this campaign. Here in West Virginia, the seven-day rolling average is up about 50% over the last three weeks. So they're on a big upswing. And you really do get a... Talking to people, we went to a polling station yesterday, you do get a, a, a view of how the two sides sort of see this pandemic differently. Almost without exception, the Democrats we spoke to said that the president's let the country down, and the Republicans we spoke to said that uh, the president's done basically everything he possibly could. And if you look at the polling, there's a big difference in, in how the two sides, how much the two sides are worrying about COVID-19. 82% of voters in Biden's camp uh, felt the pandemic was very important to their vote, like a a big contributing factor, whereas voters leaning towards Trump, only 24% said it was very important to their vote. So that is just a a huge, huge difference. Right. And where are the two candidates campaigning these days, down to the wire here? Yeah, well, one of the interesting things yesterday was to see Joe Joe Biden in uh, Georgia, actually, Uh, not a state he was necessarily expected to compete in. Um, There are sort of two ways to look at that. It does appear as though the campaign thinks it's worth the resources and time to go to Georgia. Uh, They're close. Uh, It does seem like it might be in play. The polls have sort of been back and forth. But it also sort of sends a message uh, that the Biden camp uh, wants, probably wants to put out there. It it does look confident. In fact, Biden sort of joked yesterday that uh, he was surprising pundits because no one would have predicted four years that four years ago that a Democratic candidate would be competing uh, in Georgia. It also gave Biden a chance to sort of criticize uh, Georgia Senator David Perdue for pretending like he couldn't pronounce Kamala Harris's name last week. Oh, uh, the, no. That senator sort of did the comma, comma, camera thing. And so it was another opportunity for Biden to remind voters, as he often does, that character is on the ballot. Uh, meantime, the president was very busy yesterday. He hit three states, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Nebraska, and he is behind in all three of those. Right. He's sending out quite a few surrogates these days, too, isn't he? I know his daughter's been on the campaign trail extensively, and Melania Trump hit the trail by herself. Yes, it was actually the First Lady's first solo campaign event. Uh, We haven't seen her much at all, obviously partially because she was sick. Uh, She was in uh, Pennsylvania yesterday, just outside Lancaster, so not far, actually, from where her husband was uh, for an event on Monday. Uh, So that shows sort of the importance of Pennsylvania and and that central region in the state. Uh, Her message was a bit of a contrast to the president's. Uh, She spoke with empathy about having lived through the, uh, the illness but also about worrying about her family as, as a mother and as a wife, um, where it was similar to Donald Trump's uh, messages where she said that the country shouldn't be shutting down, should be reopening. Mm-hmm. And she also accused Democrats of dividing Americans by focusing on COVID-19 too much, something she said should be very much nonpartisan. And before we let you go, Mike, just a quick question about early voting. What has that been like? Huge. Uh, they've had about, uh, for example, uh, Georgia, the state we were just talking about, 
Uh, they've had about 3.1 million votes cast so far, and they only had 4 million ballots cast the entire last election. Texas is another one that stands out right now. They've had 14 days of early voting and had 7.8 million ballots cast. That's 87% of the overall numbers they had in Texas in 2016. Yeah, it's just huge. And nationally, they've just hit 70 million early votes cast as of last night. That's crazy. All right, Mike, thank you so much for the update. Thank you. Have a great day. That's Global News National Reporter Mike Armstrong. He is in West Virginia. Can you believe those numbers from the state of Georgia alone? There are numerous counties in Georgia that are already hitting 100% turnout from 2016, meaning all the people who voted there in 2016 have already voted and they haven't even gotten to voting day yet, which is Tuesday. Uh, So voter enthusiasm this time around, despite the pandemic and everything else that's going on, certainly seems to be right up there. We'll have to see, though, who that actually benefits in the end. I admire people's commitment to democracy down there, man. I mean, we here complain about if there's like two people in a lineup to go and vote, right? Down there, people are waiting hours in a lineup just to cast their vote. Uh, So yeah, they are certainly dedicated. This is Mornings with Simi. All right, let's talk about real estate because surprisingly, continuingly surprisingly, actually, we're seeing lots of action in the real estate industry right now. And something that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, though, is the number of new listings out there. September actually set an all-time high for the number of properties that are up for sale, not just since last year, but the highest ever with 3,200 units that are up for sale. What does that say about the market and where we are at? Joining us now is real estate market analyst and Idle Insights founder, Dane Idle, to talk more about this. Good morning, Dane. Good morning, Simi. Thank you for having me back. Great speaking with you. Well, nice to have you here. So what do you think about that? Like, I've noticed this as well because I like to keep track of what's going on in real estate. There's a lot of listings out there. uh, And I have to say that when I look at some of the pictures, I'm surprised because some people aren't trying very hard when it comes to trying to sell their house with these pictures. You got it. It's, it. It is an interesting market right now. And uh, to your point that we were just speaking on, there was thirty over 3,200 brand new condo market or active listings that came to the market in September, which is the high water mark over the last 15 years. So you can completely take seasonality out of it. And we are at, uh, at an impetus. And a lot of that is due to the um, brand new completions that are coming to market. And what we're going to continue to see here is basically a cannibalization of the condo market. So older buildings, 20 years plus, that will have you know, uh, maintenance issues coming up, such as an elevator or leaky pipes or a roof assessment, will have a very challenging time selling in, a, in competition against these you know, five years and less uh, uh, buildings that are coming to market. And there are a few select out there currently where you have these new completions that were just done, and, and that has actually driven up the sale price. Even though some of those owners are getting out with their with the skin of their teeth or, or taking nominal losses, um, it still has increased the average sale price. And I think that's what we're seeing going on right now. As the completions continue to occur during 2021, that sector will start to compete amongst itself. And, and as you say, we're, we're well above our inventory. We're above 6,000 active listings, where earlier in the year we were at 3,000. So we've over doubled our, our, our amount of uh, available properties out there and that want to buy is will, will be affected by that shiny penny approach. So you always want it or you wanted, wanted a shiny penny in your change rather than that dark dingy one. And <laughs> honestly, an, an older building is going to have some challenges. And the only thing that you can really reflect against that is your price. 
And as it sits today, the 20 years and older buildings are selling for $110,000 less on average than a five-year or newer building. And they actually have roughly about 100 square feet more to offer, but they're receiving $200 less per square foot than the newer buildings. Okay, so there's a lot of supply out there, but does that mean that people are buying it all up? You know, it's interesting. So we actually had to extend out the data from 20 years. We're we're trying to do a five-year, five-year comparison, but there really isn't anything that we could do in comparison. So we had to go from 20 years just out. So that's a 30-year range where the five-year, the newer condos only had a five-year range. Right now, both markets have 2,200 active listings in each segment. And, um, but there, there's a six-month supply of new inventory and only a five-month supply of the elder, older building inventory. And that will continue to rise, as we say, with that increased competition amongst the sellers. There's very, very little investment, if any, going on for a condo purchase right now, especially given how the rental mood is going and the exodus from downtown. So that increased competition against the newer buildings, that when they start fighting amongst themselves, will have a natural ripple effect to the older buildings. But these are these newer buildings, Dane, that kind of got started, the ball was rolling at the height of the market, right? Like four or five years ago, and we were like, oh, we need more, we need more. And it takes years for them to come online. Right. And the people that purchased during 2016, 2015, the early adopters to the pre-sale market, have done well and likely even got out of the uh, the uh, contract of purchase and sale due to an assignment over the past few years when it was absolutely roaring during 2016 and 2017. The Johnny come lately to the market um, is experiencing some some hard falls right now. So if you purchased in 2018, you're definitely down, and uh, there is no assignment market really to speak of at all right now. So they've actually the the, the last guy that was holding the assignment it has taken it to market and has put it on for rent and for sale. The audit the oddity is again to your point, the sales aren't occurring as rapidly as maybe the board might have you believe. We all heard about how great the sales were. Yeah. But uh, until our show today, I, I don't think anybody really mentioned that there was a 15 year high in the condo uh, new monthly active listings. Okay, so lots of stuff on the condo market, but what about those single family homes? Yeah, the single-family home is is getting a period of strength, uh, and both markets really are right now. So, again, we saw that uh, pent-up demand from you know February, March, and April, where you just couldn't leave your house. But we're also seeing this push-forward demand. So anybody that was thinking about purchasing early into next year with these low interest rates and this uh, promotion of a fear of missing out that if you don't purchase now, you could miss the boat – has made a lot of people jump into the market. Unfortunately, that's the same thing that we saw during the market peak. People were fearful of missing out, and now they probably wish they might have missed out on a few opportunities. So that's what we think is going on here right now. Now, just going back to the condo market briefly, it took us 14 months to lose $100,000 from the peak of the market to uh, roughly 650000 And it's taken us the last 15 months to recapture $50,000. So if there is another period of weakness, which we do anticipate to occur, we will see another leg lower probably fairly rapidly where it takes a long time to recover. And, and back to the detached market, that exodus from downtown leaving rental markets, leaving the, the two-bedroom apartment, there was really a, an impetus to purchase a, a property with, a, uh, with land. So that's where we saw. And we saw a lot of exodus from the main downtown core or even the suburbs to out to Maple Ridge and, and other various places that might have a lower entry point. And in our opinion, that uh, timing might have been better if they would have waited because you probably could have captured something in your more local right. district at a cheaper price in the future. Real estate never ceases to be a fascinating topic to me these days. It, 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 it always is. It is water cooler talk. You know, it yeah. might not be across the country, but definitely here in Vancouver, it's a topical point. Oh, it sure is. All right, Dane, thank you.
No problem. Thank you. And just quickly, I just wanted to say you did an excellent job on the election night coverage oh, the other day. Thank you. You are so sweet. That's so no nice of you. Thanks, <laughs> Dane. Have a good day. Thanks, Jimmy. Take but, care. You too. That's Dane Idol, founder of Idol Insights, talking about the real estate supply boom that is going on right now. There is a ton of listings out there. In fact, in September, we set an all-time high for the total number of properties that are listed for sale. But we'll, ha- we'll have to wait a little bit while longer until we see what that actually meant for September's sales figures. And of course, we'll have that for you. This is Mornings with Simi. All right, time now for us to check in with Nikki Reitmeyer. And we've got some Halloween updates slash bad behavior going on out there. Good morning, Nikki. Good morning, Simi. Did you hear the fireworks going off in your neighborhood last night? <sighs> not last night, but I tell you, the last... Actually, not last night. I might have been sound asleep last night, but definitely on the weekend uh, because I did text my daughter when I heard it to say, um, you know, fireworks going off, make sure the dog is on a leash when you take him out at night before bed because you know how dogs are with fireworks. Our dog just hates that. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. eh? Like, you know, they seem to get started earlier and earlier each year. Although I think I heard my first few just last night. Really? How do your dogs react to this? Well, one of them would sleep through a bomb going off. She's a 12-year-old golden retriever, so she doesn't She's adorable. <laughs> She doesn't get up for much <laughs> anymore. The other one, he's a little more nervous. He's a rescue. So last Halloween wasn't great. I'm thinking this Halloween's probably not going to be too good either. Generally speaking, though, we heard a few going off in the neighborhood last night. I live across from a park, so you know that's where the kids go to set off fireworks. And he was actually okay. So I'm hopeful really? for this Halloween. But yeah. then that means that you have worked miracles because I have rarely seen that dog of yours um, out from underneath <laughs> your legs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Usually when we go to your place, he hides underneath your kitchen table yes. and or a chair. Or <laughs> He's a little nervous to say the Least. Yes, I He's just find it. Around. I find it interesting because this is technically, you know, legally the last kind of legal fireworks Halloween for people in Vancouver, anyway. Because November first, they're going to be banned. So I guess maybe people are going to get in their fun. I imagine the next couple of days not going to be great for people who hate fireworks. No, I think if anyone's been stockpiling fireworks for the past while, they might be uh, setting them all off this Halloween in order to get rid of them because the ban comes into place November 1st. Although I think you and I are both realistic people, Simi, and I think that we'll be having a similar conversation come next Halloween. I have a sneaking suspicion many people won't be abiding by the ban that comes into place just after Halloween this I also year. want to update you. We, I got a ton of emails yesterday when you and I had said, hey, people, tell us what movie we should watch on Saturday night. You're going to come over That's to my right. house. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling we're going to end up watching like Jeepers Creepers because, boy, did a oh. lot. I know. I'm sorry. But a lot of people emailed to say Jeepers Creepers. I still find I, I remember I watched that movie I mean, years ago and I just oh it, it creeped me out at the time and I still think of it as being one of the scariest movies there's this scene in it where a car speeds past them and they see the license plate and it seems to say beating you and they go ah you know some jerk who speeds all the time beating you of course you know he's getting past us but then they realize what the license plate actually means is be eating you because I know isn't that the cringe oh it just gives me creeps thinking about it still so I suppose we have to commit to what the listeners have decided well we'll see there's still a couple of days so if people want to suggest a scary movie that they think Nikki and I should watch on Saturday night we're going to keep each other company please email me simi at cknw.com although Gord and a couple other people also suggested the birds how do you feel about that oh the birds 
the birds were it was a traumatizing movie i will say <laughs> i didn't find it you know so scary like some of those other movies right. you know where you're you're jumping and you're you know you can't sleep at night but certainly you look at birds differently oh yeah you, you do oh movie. yeah you do crows especially so yeah we will continue to take uh, your suggestions on that couple of days left before we're going to be doing this so email me simmy at cknw.com with the halloween scary movie that you think that nikki and i absolutely must watch on halloween night uh, but right now, Nikki, I want to tell you about a story that I just read, and it is about the most popular Halloween decoration. Most, I shouldn't say most popular, the most sought after Halloween oh. decoration in the United States right now. Have you heard about this? Ooh. It's got to be skeletons. I saw a really big skeleton at Home Depot. I think that's been popular this nailed year, it. something like that. You nailed it. It is the 12 foot high Home oh. Depot skeleton. So it's a huge skeleton. And Home Depot has been selling these and they are going like crazy. Like you can see them for thousands of dollars on eBay. That wow. Yeah, I was reading a story in the Washington Post this morning about a guy who um, he went looking for one in Ohio at his Home Depot and they told him, no, we're, were you kidding me? We're sold out. But we know there's one that's about to arrive at a store that's 70 miles away. He jumped in his truck and he went 70 miles, paid like 300 and something, $320 to get this skeleton. And by the time he bought it, there was already like a lineup of people showing up there hoping to also get that one skeleton. It's crazy. funny? Yeah. I see. I just saw the pictures of them online. I thought it was kind of, you know, a one-off here or there. I didn't realize that people were going so crazy for these things. 12 foot high skeleton. It is big. Like, can you imagine showing up at a house and seeing that uh, right on the front steps or whatever? Like, it's the must have, I guess, Halloween decoration. It's like the Tickle Me Elmo of Halloween decorations. (laughs) (laughs) They actually cited a woman who is a Canadian, lives in Switzerland, who paid $775 US to have hers shipped to Europe. Whoa. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Crazy. The, the question is, it's like a Christmas tree, Simi. You know, you you think it's great to have a you know, 12-foot Christmas tree in your home. Where do you store the thing through the rest of the season? Oh, the pictures of it in people, the back of people's cars as they're driving to get it home is hilarious. Like, it's <laughs> huge. Does it come fully assembled? No, no, you got to put it together. (laughs) Good luck with that. You need a big ladder then, I guess, to go with that as well, right? There was a lady who said she's got one. She's had a pumpkin. She operates a pumpkin patch and a customer offered her $4,000 on the spot, took out his checkbook to write it. And she, I guess her husband looked at her and was like, oh, come on, we got to take this. And she said, don't you dare sell my skeleton. So yeah, it's super coveted right now. That is funny. That reminds me of the time that you went to New York and you had Hamilton tickets and they offered yeah, you a check exactly. for, for Hamilton tickets. That's This is how hot this Halloween decoration so is. It's the equivalent hot. of a hot Broadway ticket. It really is right now. It is the thing to have. I'm going to have to look for it now. Uh, Nikki, thank you. Thanks, Simi. That is our Nikki Reitmeyer this morning. Keep those scary movie suggestions coming for us. Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. You know, for a lot of kids out there, the high school experience isn't the same this year because not all of them are able to, you know, do those sports that they are so used to doing. Well, some high schools are giving students the opportunity to do something a little different this year. Maybe try esports. What's that all about? Well, Jordan Abney is the executive director of BC School Sports and joins us now. Good morning, Jordan. Tell me, how does this work? Like, what kind of esports are we talking about here? So this is sort of a new frontier for us and, uh, and BC School Sports. 
we've decided to go with you know, the most popular uh, esports game, and I, I must admit I, I'm not a gamer, so I'm I'm learning along the way as well. But we're playing a game called League of Legends, uh-huh. and it's a it's a I guess it's a five on five strategy based game where I guess every student has a character that does different things, and they must work together. And essentially, it's a uh, I guess you could say it's sort of a, a very advanced version of Capture the Flag. So there's elements of teamwork and communication and those types of things that must be done to to be effective as a team. Right. But they can do it at home, but still be participating in a school sport. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different. You know, our intent was originally to have the kids participating at their school. We wanted to be very much um, right. like any other school activity. And I think we, we will eventually get there. Um, obviously, given the current circumstances, you know, we're going to have a little flexibility perhaps in that area. Uh, but the idea is that, it, you know, this is a trial where we're really just kind of dipping our toe in it to see what the response from the schools are and the membership. Uh, and once we, if it's something that we can see, you know, being sustainable, um, then certainly we'd like it to sort of operate like any of our activities. Uh, and it, it will be school-based, but in the, in the interim, we'll, we'll sort of be a little bit flexible around that. So what has the response been like? Yeah, so we originally had looked to perhaps start this in the spring, and then obviously when the pandemic started, we kind of put everything on, on pause as schools were were shut. And so uh, at that point, we had you know quite a bit of interest, and we had 60 or 70 schools that expressed interest just in, in a quick little trial. And um, right now we're just in the sign-up phase that we're, well, I guess we start in a couple of weeks. So uh, we'll have our exact numbers here in the next week or so, but there's it's been surprising. And I, I guess we shouldn't be based on how popular esports uh, Right. is, or, uh, you know, not just uh, here, but around the world. And, and it's a lot of kids that are uh, playing it. So um, we've been pleasantly surprised with the interest and the uptake. And I, I think we'll have a, a really good trial. And from there, that'll give, you know, our membership and our board some, some information and some feedback to kind of make future decisions right. on. You know, what I love about this is that you may get kids signing up for this who might not have signed up for the traditional high school sports. And that's exactly what we talked about when I talked to my board about it. And we said, because, you know, it's not a traditional sport. And, there, you know, some people have said, well, there's no physical activity component of it, which is, which is all fair. But I said, at the end of the day, there's heaps of research that say when you have kids that have um, engagement and a sense of belonging and responsibility within their school community, there's tons of positive outcomes. And if this gives us a chance to provide that sort of experience for kids that wouldn't normally participate, then we need to look at that pretty seriously. And ultimately, that's kind of what we decided that, you know, we can, we can have that. We can have a team-like environment with a, with a coach or supervisor that teaches some of the same um, skills and provides the same sort of educational lessons that you would get in other right. sporting events. And we, we want to we try and extend that to as many kids as possible. So is this all over BC? Schools will have the opportunity to do this? Yeah, the nice thing is from a cost perspective, it, it's it's very little. So, um, you know, with traditional sports, obviously, there's there's equipment and, and then off, uh, officials and uh, uniforms and, and those types of things. And then if, as you go on, there's there's travel and hotels and so forth. Um, this can all be done basically from, from either the school or, in some cases, the home. Um, and so, yeah, there's very little cost, and it will be open to any of our member schools, which is virtually every school in, in BC. That's fantastic. Jordan, thanks so much for telling us about it. Thanks, Amy. Have a great day. You too. That's Jordan Abney, Executive Director of BC School Sports. They're trying something different, hopefully, this school year. They're going to try out some esports 
get students and kids involved that way, it's、uh, that would be something that I could see a lot of kids would really want to check out. It's kind of fun. You're still playing on a team, still playing for your school, right? And you're getting other kids the opportunity to jump in and try that out too. This is Mornings with Simi. As we've been hearing, and as we know, we are at a critical juncture in the fight against COVID 19. Cases are spiking, and we've got Halloween coming this weekend. And you know what? It could be a huge problem if people aren't very careful. And in fact, if people aren't very careful in certain areas, Over the last seven days, about 77% of all the new cases that we have gotten of COVID 19 come from the Fraser Health region. Now, mainly that is Surrey, Delta, and Langley. That's where a lot of these cases are coming from. But of course, Fraser Health also includes Abbotsford. And we want to talk about what's going on out in Fraser Health. So joining us now is the mayor of Abbotsford, Henry Braun. Thank you very much for joining us.、Uh, good morning, Simi. Thank you for the invite. Well, do these numbers concern you? Uh, absolutely,、uh, they do, and it is a、uh, foreshadowing,、uh, if we're not careful, of what's happening、uh, with our friends to our neighbors to the south. And what do you think is happening? Like, what do you see going on in your community? Well, I, well, I see lots of things, but、um, <laughs> in terms of COVID 19, I see our community more and more wearing masks that I didn't see actually、uh, to the same degree、uh, during the lockdown. Um, most people in most places that I go to, I would say 75, 80% of people are, are wearing masks.、Uh, and we need to, well, let me back up. What we, need to, we were in the best place probably in North America、um, earlier in the year and during the summer.、Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen by accident. It, it, it happened because we willingly. Followed the orders of our health、uh, minister and, and、uh, more particularly Dr. Bonnie Henry, our、uh, health officer.、Uh, and it was very simple.、Uh, what we did is we maintained two meter distance, we washed our hands like never before, and we wore masks. And if we do those three things, I am convinced that those numbers、uh, that we see climbing, especially this last week, Uh, we can bend that curve and get back to flattening that curve because that's what we have to do. Now,、uh, Dr. Henry has also said, though, that she believes private homes, parties, gatherings in private homes are a big part of this problem here. Does, does City Hall in Abbotsford get complaints about this?、Uh, I, my office has not seen, I, I get a few emails, maybe a couple, three a week、uh, during a week,、uh, maybe one or two phone calls. Where somebody's saying, hey, I think there's something going on over there, and I pass that over to the、uh, city manager who then deals with、uh, our bylaw staff and goes and visits to see what's happening. But by and large, in our businesses, and for sure, in, we, we employ as a city about 1,000 people, and, many, and they're spread out over many different buildings. We have protocols in place.、Uh, I think we've only had one.、Uh, I don't think even it was a positive case, but、uh, we've not ha- experienced、uh, any problems with our employees because、right. we have a duty to keep them safe and we have a duty to keep our citizens, our residents safe. And so in our public buildings, we have protocols there too for distancing.、Um, now, some people are not happy、uh, that they can't you know, fill ice rinks and they can't go swimming、uh, you know, like they used to when there w a s 100 people in the pool. Uh, so, we have all those protocols in place to keep our citizens safe. 
But what I think is happening, so I don't think it's what's happening now is coming from those areas. What's happening, if I understand but Dr. Bonnie Henry, it's coming from homes where yeah. there's large gatherings. And that is a concern. And I personally and all of my uh, siblings, we have not uh, had any family gatherings, the ones we've had in our homes, period. I have six brothers and sisters um, and their spouses. But we meet in parks. We celebrated my mother's birthday on Sunday, a 90th birthday, and we did it in a park. We were probably four meters separated, and uh, we warm, wore warm clothes, and you can function. So, But it sounds like what, not everybody is doing that, though, Mayor Braun, right? That's the problem. Totally. And so we need to start paying more attention to this, or we're going to see what's happening in the U.K. right now, Europe, the U.S., uh, because if we don't, uh, get back to being more disciplined uh, about uh, not getting, um, you know, not having 40 or 50 people in homes. I, do, we, I do, you, do you foresee a role, though, for City Hall, though, to help with that? Like, would you say to the bylaw department, we've got to crack down, you've got to get tougher with people? Well, that's a hard, that's a hard call. Um, I, people don't like enforcement uh, of any kind, whether it's Speeding tickets or no, COVID. they don't. Yeah, I would much for, much prefer, and this is what our policy has been so far: is to educate, to communicate. Don't do this, and if you do do it, here's the consequences. Dr. Bonnie Henry now has, you know, made uh, she recommended mass, but I heard a new word: uh, highly recommend, or I think that was the, the wording yeah. that she had. Uh, the next one will be. If, if these numbers don't change, uh, maybe they're mandatory. Uh, we have been very uh, careful to follow the, the health, uh, min, uh, the health uh, orders, and they are orders. They're not uh, suggestions. And we need to pay attention to that, and we need to look after one another and, and right. be more concerned about my neighbor than I am about myself. And if we all do that, uh, this is easy, actually. Well, we'll see what happens, right? Hasn't seemed easy so far, but uh, Mayor Braun, thank you for your time on that this morning. Thank you. Appreciate your time. That's Henry Braun, the Mayor of Abbotsford. This is Mornings with Simi. So we were just talking to Abbotsford Mayor Henry Braun, and he says that he is seeing more people mask up in his community than just a few months ago. And certainly that there's been a huge emphasis on that, right? We heard a change in words from Dr. Bonnie Henry on that too. She highly recommends that we now wear masks everywhere. Doctors of BC are jumping on this as well. They're launching a new campaign encouraging people also to mask up. So let's talk about that. Dr. Kathleen Ross joins us now, the president of Doctors of BC. Dr. Ross, thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. So why launch the campaign now? Why is this a good time? So over the last several weeks, a number of BC doctors have expressed their concerns that members of the public were not wearing their masks in our collective effort to to improve and reduce the spread of COVID-19. So as the representative body of, of our doctors, we urged everyone to start wearing a mask where they cannot physically distance themselves, either indoors or out, uh, and no matter where they go in the community. Is this something that you as doctors also mentioned to Dr. Bonnie Henry? Like, would you like to see stronger words coming from public health officials? So I absolutely support Dr. Henry in, in expecting mask use in all public spaces. They're already mandatory in a number of companies, public transit, some hospitals, some businesses, and particularly where it's challenging to maintain that distance between us. What kind of a difference do you think that mask wearing can make? 
Well, there's been a number of studies across the globe now that support uh, mask use. And where mask use has been more the norm, there's been lower rises in case numbers and lower case mortality rate. Uh, and there are, some, there are some studies suggesting that the fewer vol- uh, viral particles that you get ex- uh, exposed to uh, do result in a lesser illness. So now with our rising case counts and hospital admissions, this is the time to pull out all the tools that we have for prevention, and mask is one of them. So do you feel like every little bit might help? Exactly, and we want to be able to come out of the winter here knowing that we've done everything in our power, washed our hands, kept our distance, stayed home when we were sick, and wearing our masks when we go out. Okay, so tell me about the campaign then. What is it asking people to do? So we're simply asking people to wear a mask. Cloth masks are uh, just fine. If it's a homemade mask, we're suggesting three layers uh, are appropriate. And we know that cloth masks, by and large, can reduce that droplet spread by about 80%. And remember, those droplets are those wet particles that we shed into the air when we cough, breathe, sneeze, and the viruses hitch a ride on those to get onto the next person, typically within that one to two meter range. So do you think, have we been a little bit too slow in getting on the mask bandwagon? I certainly understand that there's a lot of mixed messaging around masks during the pandemic. But as the pandemic's evolved and we've been able to learn more and understand more how the virus is transmitted and particularly where the virus is transmitted, it's, uh, it's evolving our recommendations as we learn more. So what will this campaign look like? How will we see it? I expect we'll see everyone wearing a mask when they, when they leave their home uh, to be in those uh, public spaces. And so will doctors at BC then have a poster campaign? Like, how are you going to get that message out to people? So we've activated our campaign on social media. We've involved our doctors' offices. If, if uh, you know, public materials are required, I think we probably could take that on. But I think really we just need to make sure that the message gets out to all and that this now becomes our social norm until we're on top of this pandemic. And how have doctors' offices adjusted to this? You know, in the beginning, there was a lot of telehealth. Has that held firm, or is there kind of a combination of things going on now to treat patients? So as we've had greater access to our personal protective equipment, we've seen a number of, uh, a number of visits now return to the doctor's office. Of course, there's a lot of things that we do as physicians that simply cannot be done through the telephone or over a video chat. We need to have that in-person access. So is that kind of left up to the individual kind of medical clinic or doctor's office? So certainly we're starting to encourage uh, physicians to get back into seeing more patients in their office as the availability of that protective equipment comes along. But at the moment, it's been up to the physicians to decide what's the best method to, to treat their patients. All right, Dr. Ross, thank you very much for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. That's Dr. Kathleen Ross, president of the Doctors of BC. They are jumping on with this new campaign, encouraging people to mask up. They were very glad to hear that Dr. Bonnie Henry kind of elevated her language when it came to uh, asking people to do that, that they, she highly recommends, she said this week, that we wear a mask pretty much every time we leave the house. You're used to it when you go to the grocery store. Uh, you're used to it when you go anywhere else to the doctor's office or any kind of office these days. So now they're just, and or transit for that matter. And now they're just saying, you know what, get used to wearing it everywhere.